Yes, it's been a while since we've heard Thus Spake Zarathustra as the intro to Wrestling with Theology, but after a month's hiatus, thanks to my job picking up in its hours, I'm able now finally to get back into Wrestling with Theology here with episode number 47. As it's the third week of the month, we are sticking with our schedule and doing the confessional corner this week. In the last episode, I looked at the first part of Article 23 of the Augsburg Confession, speaking about the marriage of priests. We're going to look at the second half of that article today, beginning with paragraph 15. Melanchthon writes, Furthermore, God ordained marriage to be a help against human weakness. Canon law itself says that the old rigor ought to be relaxed now and then, in these latter times, because of human weakness. We expect that at some point churches will lack pastors if marriage continues to be forbidden. So far, Melanchthon. After speaking about the continual descent of man's weakness, Melanchthon goes back to the origin of marriage. In the Garden of Eden, God ordained marriage because it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Genesis 2.18 Marriage should never have been denied to the priest, but Melanchthon will get to that in a moment. Right now, Melanchthon points to the more practical problem with marriage being denied to priests. We expect that at some point churches will lack pastors if marriage continues to be forbidden. Even 500 years ago, this practical point was being made. There will be fewer and fewer priests in the ministry because they cannot handle being unable to marry. Celibacy is not man's most basic inclination. God created men and women to seek relationships with each other. It is not normal for a person to be celibate their whole life. God gifts a few to do it, but that is very few. The requirement to never be married has kept many good and faithful Roman Catholic men from going into the priesthood. Therefore, many parish priests serve multiple congregations, especially in rural areas. I agree with Melanchthon. At some point, churches will lack pastors unless the Roman Catholic Church changes this teaching. Most likely, this continued shortage of priests will cause even more congregations to close as dioceses merge them to keep them from spreading the priest too thin. While the Roman Catholic Church has more options, the most logical solution is to allow priests to marry. Melanchthon continues, in paragraph 18, while God's commandment is in force and the custom of the church is well known, impure celibacy will cause many scandals, adulteries, and other crimes that deserve punishment from just rulers. In light of all this, it is incredibly cruel that the marriage of priests is forbidden. God has commanded that marriage be honored in the laws of all well-ordered commonwealths, even among the heathen. But now men, even priests, are cruelly put to death, contrary to the intent of canon law, for no other reason that they are married. Paul, in 1 Timothy 4, says that a doctrine of demons forbids marriage, in verses 1-3. through 3. This is clearly seen by how laws against marriage are enforced with such penalties. The biggest complaint throughout history against enforced celibacy is that people will abuse the system. No, priests can't get married. That does not mean that they are celibate. There have been documented cases where parish priests and even popes have had mistresses to alleviate their natural urges. 
these things, especially when they involve a consenting adult, are generally swept under the rug. However, they cannot be hidden forever. The sexual abuse scandal in the United States has proven that. Granted, that scandal has primarily focused on priests sexually abusing children, but that is only part of the scandals, adulteries, and other crimes that deserve punishment from just rulers. I'm not trying to sensationalize or minimize the issue. I simply agree with Melanchthon. It is incredibly cruel that the marriage of priests is forbidden. Marriage is the original inalienable human right. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. St. Paul writes to Timothy that those who forbid marriage are advancing the teachings of demons. By the time of the Reformation, the devil had gained such a foothold among the clergy that even canon law was subverted to strengthen this demonic practice. It's difficult to imagine that people would be put to death simply because they were married. However, when you have a hierarchy that has established itself as infallible and unquestionable, you are bound to have such atrocious abuses of power. Melanchthon concludes in paragraphs 24 through 26, Since no human law can destroy God's command, neither can it be done by any vow. So Cyprian advises women who do not keep the promise that they made to remain chaste that they should marry. He says in Book 1, Epistle 11, if they are unwilling or unable to persevere, it is better for them to marry than to fall into the fire by their lusts. They should certainly give no offense to their brothers and sisters. And even canon law shows some leniency towards those who have taken vows before the proper age, as has been the case up to this point. Marriage is a command of God. Not that everyone must marry, but God does not want anyone led into temptation. Because he created us as sexual beings who desire to be in relationships, he also gave us the sixth commandment against the He also gave us the sixth commandment against the abuse of this wiring. Melanchthon refers to Cyprian's advice to women unable to keep their vow of chastity. At the time of the Reformation, most monks and nuns were dropped off by their parents at a very young age. They were then made to take the initial vows of their order. For example, Katharina von Bora, Luther's wife, was placed in the cloister at the age of five. What five-year-old understands the vows that they are taking? They don't understand the repercussions of these promises. Heck, many 50-year-olds don't understand these things either. Monastic vows, which we will discuss further in Article 27, have a slight basis in Scripture, especially the vow of chastity. St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 8 and 9, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul is not trying to set boundaries for a holy life with this statement. He is pointing us back to how God created us to live. If some feel fulfilled with a single life, that's wonderful. But this cannot be mandated by anyone, not even the church. Back to Cyprian's statement. He gives it to keep a monk or nun from giving offense to his or her brothers and sisters. Many were led astray by the actions of those who tried to hide their inability to control their lust. And the problems just continued to mount. 
Will allowing priests to marry automatically fix all the problems? Absolutely not. It will have a similar success rate as those who marry because of premarital sex leading to a pregnancy. Some work, but they all have added stress thanks to the circumstances that brought the union about. However, the allowance of clergy marriages would likely strengthen the number of clergy. It might also serve as the catalyst for another reformation to bring the Roman Catholic Church more in line with biblical teachings and practices. And that is, after all, what Articles 22 through 28 of the Augsburg Confession are there for, to try to bring the Roman Catholic Church back in line with the Bible and its teachings and practices. We saw that these last couple of months with the marriage of priests. We saw it before with the use of both kinds and the distribution of both the body and the blood in the Lord's Supper before that. We'll get into the Mass some more next month. All of these things are to bring about that Reformation, that bringing the church back to the Bible. That's exactly what we do as we come together to wrestle with theology. Not just looking at, okay, this is what the Augsburg Confession says, but what does the Bible say along with it? So I encourage you to come back next week as we do just that, digging deeper into the Bible as we continue our journey through Exodus. Until next time, this is Pastor Doug Minton encouraging you and hoping and wishing that God's greatest and richest blessings are upon you as you wrestle with theology. Amen.